Did you know that more than 80% of Americans have at least one cavity by the time they reach adulthood? And it's one of the most chronic diseases affecting people of all ages. Did you also know that the dental hygienists are prevention specialists and we are poised to be the early intervention catalyst for our patients in order to treat and manage dental cavities. Hi everyone, my name is Billy Lunt and in this episode, we're going to be talking about caries risk treatment and prevention. My intention is to spark an idea of understanding and create a baseline knowledge for you as you move ahead in the dental hygiene program, learning about risk assessments and the caries risk, as well as disease prevention and some of the opportunities and options that you have when you are managing caries risk for your patients in the clinical setting. I'm here to help you on your learning journey to support you through the dental hygiene program and beyond. Hey everyone, in this episode, we are going to talk about cariology, right? the study of caries, which is one of the two main diseases that we uh, work with our patients to manage in the clinical setting. And I was working with a patient uh, recently and I just was overwhelmed by what I saw in this patient's mouth. This patient had full mouth restorations. They, a lot of time invested in their dentition, a beautiful smile uh, when he spoke to me initially when I first interfaced with him. And then once I looked at the radiographs and started looking in his mouth and doing an assessment, I was just overwhelmed by how much decay he had. So I had to pause what I was doing to really try to discover what the story was behind this patient and how did we get to this place? How was it that this patient who was only in his early 40s had so much dental restorative in his mouth but yet wasn't managing his decay? So in this episode, we're going to talk about the caries process and all the different facets and some of the new technologies that are coming out, stuff that I'm really excited about, so that hopefully in my career time, we don't see patients who go through lots of treatment and still end up with 15 to 20 carious lesions in their mouth. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! Biological appetites are the minerals that make up some of the parts of our body, like enamel. We're talking hydroxyapatite, fluorapatite, and chloroapatite in this particular situation. Special hydroxyapatite composes the teeth and our bones. Hydroxyapatite itself has a low bioresorption rate. And what that just means is that it doesn't quite mimic the exact structure of the hydroxyapatite of our enamel, the inorganic makeup of our bones and teeth. There's a carbonate structure. So carbonate substituted hydroxyapatite is the main structural makeup of the enamel and dentin of our teeth. So the carbonate is substituted and this is naturally occurring. 
of our enamel is made up of hydroxyapatite by volume, and 95% of it is by weight. So given the size of a tooth, it's really tightly packed crystals, and it's really dense, so it's pretty heavy. The amenoblasts stack all this during the enamel development process to form these crystallized layers of enamel rods. It's really important for you to understand how enamel is formed in order for you to then understand how the demineralization and remineralization process works so that you can better understand cariology and how you can intervene when you're assessing your patient. Biofilm uses the food that we eat to break down the starches and the simple sugars into acid. Now the acid mixes with the saliva and that combines with the food debris. It forms additional biofilm, right? It's just the feeding source for the biofilm development. And this increases the acid production from the biofilm. All of this acid production creates an imbalance in the mineralization and demineralization process that can happen in enamel. And this is how dental caries is formed. When that balance is tipped and the demineralization of the enamel goes too far, we end up with a cavitated lesion. And most often we call these white spots and these will cavitate, right? So once that balance is off enough that causes the demineralization process to extend too far, we now have a cavitated lesion. And if you want to dive a little deeper into the dental biofilm production, check out episode 54. And if you want to dive a little deeper into the histology of enamel formation, you can check out episode 76. Both of these give you a really nice background to help you really understand the caries process and how some patients are at a higher risk uh, and what the treatment options are. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We really need to understand why it's important to do a caries risk assessment for our patients and how all of this chemistry and anatomy work together to create that risk. Let's talk about what is involved in determining the level of risk that our patient has to the potential of throwing off that balance between the remineralization and demineralization process of the enamel. I know that most of our patients, the first thing that they think about is their diet. And what they continue to think about is sugary foods, candy, things like that. And we've made a lot of progress in helping our patients understand that sugar is also found in a lot of the drinks and juices that they consume. So that is definitely, nutrition is definitely one big leg of the risk assessment piece, but also the biofilm. How is your patient managing their biofilm production in their mouth? And so we have to disclose our patient in order to make a really accurate assessment of what's going on in there. They've got a new disclosing solution out that I tried that has different color variations. So it helps you see not only where the plaque biofilm is accumulating, but some of the more mature biofilm that exists. And this is such a great education tool to show our patients. And from my own experience, what I've seen is that patients are really surprised at just how many strokes it takes with your toothbrush to remove the biofilm, especially from those cervical regions where it, it accumulates pretty quickly. And the other part of the risk assessment that we can't overlook is the dentition itself. 
some of those malpositioned teeth and so some of those inadequate embrasure spaces and open contacts that exist for our patients. Those are factors as well. And if there's places where there's periodontal involvement and furcation involvement, your patient's just going to have a more challenging time controlling the biofilm and controlling the caries. We also cannot overlook the contributing factors of some of the medications that patients are taking that change the saliva flow in their mouth. As you go through the program, you are going to learn about all of the different chronic illnesses and some of the most chronic diseases uh, that a lot of our patients have that you will see show up on the medical history while you're in school as a student. And you will find out some of the links between those chronic diseases and how that contributes to an increased caries risk. Some of our diabetic patients, their glycemic index definitely impacts the saliva in their mouth. And some of these chronic diseases and illnesses that patients have contribute to their risk because of the medications that they're taking. So there's different reasons why these chronic illnesses cause an increased caries risk in the mouth. And this is stuff that you will discover and learn about as you work through the program as a student. And the other thing we cannot overlook is dexterity and cognitive ability. A lot of our patients have challenges with dexterity issues, and this really limits their ability to manage the biofilm in their mouth. It's important for us as providers to help our patients overcome some of those challenges and provide different interventions for them in order to keep that balance maintained as best we can in the mouth. Another helpful tool coupled and married alongside disclosing solution that you can use to determine the level of risk for your patient is a saliva test that simply shows you the pH level of your patient. We know that that remineralization, demineralization balance is off once the pH hits 5.5 or lower. So it's important for us to couple that into our risk assessment with our patients so that we can make the determination if the pH is a contributing factor specifically for the patient that we're working with. And the American Dental Association recommends prioritizing the use of non-restorative interventions, including non-invasive therapies. We want to treat our whole patient, not just drill and fill. We need to be thinking about how to improve our patient's resistance to future carious lesions. What type of home care interventions can we provide our patient? We have to disclose in order for us to evaluate the patients for risk and provide the corrections that are needed for their home care interventions. We wanna talk about nutrition and evaluate the frequency of eating and the choices of eating that the patient is making. There's one thing that I have discovered through conversations with patients is that they are not necessarily aware of the connection between some of their food choices and their carious lesions or their risk. For example, goldfishies, lots of kids and adults eat goldfishies, and I'm not picking on goldfishies, but goldfishies are really, really sticky, and they stick into the occlusal surfaces of a lot of these areas, which make them high risk, and they're loaded with carbohydrates, and we know that when there's carbohydrates just left alone to do their job, they are going to grow the biofilm, 
and the lactic acid production is going to be increased, which will destabilize the enamel and start the demineralization process. And patients don't often make those connections. When we talk to them about nutrition, if we are not digging a little deeper and peeling back the layers a little bit to talk about frequency and choices, then we are left with not really giving our patient all the tools and information that they need in order to make some of these adaptations. The gentleman that I was talking about at the start of this podcast episode, we discovered just through conversation that he was a person who always carried around an iced tea and would sip on iced tea all day long at work. He had no idea that there was a strong correlation between his food choice and his decay rates. He did not make that connection because when I started talking to him about his high risk of decay, all he said was, I don't eat any candy. And this is a misconception that a lot of patients have. And even if the iced tea was sugar-free, he really needed to understand the connection between that acid exposure and how the digestive process starts in the mouth. And we owe that to our patients to evaluate their nutrition and evaluate their eating choices and their frequency so that we can help them manage their decay rates. When we disclose our patient, it helps our patient be part of the process of evaluating. It includes them in the entire process of assessment when we are taking a look, we're disclosing our patient, and it's really showing us the level and maturity of that biofilm. When they are part of the process, we can work together with our patients to come up with home care interventions or maybe changes in their home care interventions so that they can improve the outlook of that disclosing. And I have found that patients over time, they look forward to you disclosing so they can see themselves. Is there a change? They want to know what the outcome of their efforts are. And the disclosing solution is a really easy, painless way to show our patients that they're making progress or there's other areas that they need to work on. Because oftentimes when we highlight an area for our patient, they'll start working really hard on that particular area and there might be another area in the mouth that kind of falls off the wagon. So it's important to every time reevaluate um, for any home care interventions that need to take place for your patient. And in that process of conversation and assessment and evaluation, it's really important for you to understand what the patient's own healthcare beliefs are so that you can work with them where they are to walk them down the path of health. You don't really want to take big leaps here you need to look at it as a small step process of intervention so that you can help those patients. It's also important for you to know what different types of interventions are available to your patients. You know, there's so much more than just providing sealants for the occlusal surfaces. There are systemic things that we can provide our patients that stabilize the dentition right from the start, right? So we have systemic fluoride, we have rinses, obviously we have community water fluoridation, so it's important for you to know if your patient lives in an area where they're receiving fluoridated water or fluoride exposure, we're all being exposed to fluoride. It's the 19th most abundant element on the planet, so it's everywhere and it's in our lives, but it's important for us to try to make a determination for our patient on how much fluoride exposure they're receiving because we know that that measure exists to improve the resistance to decay. 
there's topical applications as well. We have the professional fluoride varnish that we apply and then patients have at-home self-care. The research coming out, if you're doing fluoride varnish on your patient, you should be coupling that with povidone iodine at the same time. The research is showing that if you do povidone iodine on your patient and follow that with a fluoride varnish, your impact is so much greater for your patient. It's also a great time to have that education piece with your patient to talk about bacteria, to talk about the pathogens that are in the oral biofilm and what those things do and what you're doing to help manage that for them and with them. When we're assessing our patients, we wanna think about areas that we can provide sealants on because these areas are at higher risk of carious lesions due strictly to mostly anatomy. Think about areas that have food impaction. If you have a food trap area, your risk of a carious lesion just goes up so tremendously. And we want to try to create a mechanical resistance to reduce the cariogenic bacterial access, right? We wanna keep things easy to clean for our patients. So this is where ortho interventions come in. No matter what the age of our patient, have that conversation. If you know that there's a food trap area or there's an embrasure space that's causing more challenge for your patient, we're looking to reduce that cariogenic bacterial load. And so sometimes we need to talk about ortho for our patient if we wanna reduce their caries risk because we know that it's easier to, to keep it air, these areas clean and that we can reduce their risk. There's a lot of research that shows that the drill and fill method that we've been using, there's not been a lot of progress or decrease in the prevalence of carious lesions. There's new research coming out and there's new uh, trials using artificial intelligence to integrate into dentistry for diagnosing lesions. Even more interesting is what's going on in the lesion. What's the activity of that carious lesion? How aggressive is it? Is, it re is there any remineralization going on? So we have a lot going on in dentistry. Uh, incorporating artificial intelligence in is really interesting because we're always looking to find a balance in the mouth between the different types of pathogens that are causing the increased risk and what is the enamel matrix doing? How is the hydroxyapatite? What are the flora appetite crystal ions doing in that with the approval of silver diamine fluoride in the United States back in 2017, the improved technology in fluoride varnish, the understanding of povidone iodine, and the development of P11-4 peptide, all of these things have just increased the potential for us to have a bigger toolbox to use when treating and managing our patients who present in the dental setting with a higher caries risk. The use of sealants and glass ionomers has really changed the game in dentistry. And I believe that as more people understand the use of these different products and how they will work together to no longer just watch a carious lesion go from just the enamel shell into the dentin and become a cavitated problem that needs the traditional drilling and filling. Once this catches on and becomes the standard of care, we are going to reduce the caries risk and potential of 
surgical interventions kind of becoming the secondary layer of treatment and the primary layer of treatment now becomes prevention. How can we use what we know and how can we use all of the products we have to put prevention in the center to treat and manage our patients without surgical intervention to help remineralize and restore the dentition without cutting away precious enamel. Once it's gone, you never get it back. So all of these things are things that I want you to be thinking about when you think about a caries risk assessment and dental caries and how all of these things work together to either contribute to the flow and the balance within the mouth or the imbalance that can occur. And all of these different branches and legs that are involved in your assessment all can play a really pivotal role in throwing off that remineralization and, and demineralization process that can happen, that can cause your patient to sometimes have a, a real big change in their oral environment that can contribute to quite a number of carious lesions. I'm hoping that this is something that we are making progress on. There's so much stuff that I'm excited about that we're discovering and learning. But in order to really appreciate where we need to go, there's going to have to be a shift in how we look at and how we treat our patients and also how we educate our patients on what the options are what types of treatment plans we put together for our patients, and then the, the value of some of the stuff that's out there that we need to keep abreast on and know that is being researched and developed so that we are always on the side of cautious intervention and conservative dentistry. I would invite you to send me any questions that you need answered. Questions come up when you listen to this podcast. I have a link in the show notes, and I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Also, I would appreciate a review if you have time to leave one. Thank you so much.